Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Was Tuesday, the podcast about fighting games by uh, with your host James Chen, aka Jay Chenzor. Uh, very strange week. I'm so used to doing. Tekken reaction trailers and Street Fighter dev matches and all that stuff. And <laughs> we got nothing today, boys. We got nothing today. So I'm going to have to come up with my own topics. And I figured we would try to do some more fighting game history stuff today. And so today, what I want to talk about, I'll, I'll give the little bit of a uh, backstory of where the, why this subject even came up in my head. Uh, but let's talk about this over here. Ah, it is already Wednesday for Bassett, B- Bassett Snake. Uh, but let us go ahead and go over here and talk about this. The Secret of the Glove <laughs> for Marvel versus Capcom 2. Uh, so, uh, during Evo Japan Restream Weekend, the first night that I was there, uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out and grab dinner, and, uh, Jadelyn, uh, Jadelyn Gaming, one of the commentators for Evo Japan, also wanted to grab dinner, so we met up in the lobby just to go get some food, and then Yipes came walking by, and we are like, hey, Yipes, what's going on? He's like, yo, have you guys eaten food yet? And we're like, no. And we're like, okay, cool. Let's actually do this. And so the three of us decided to grab some food, so we Ubered our way to some Chinese restaurant. Actually, solid Chinese restaurant there in Northern California, uh, really in the middle of nowhere, but very, very good food. Uh, we drove back to the hotel, and then we started to eat, and it just somehow kind of turned into this session where myself and Yipes were, like, talking to Jadlin about all this old-school stuff. We, like, we were giving her the rundown on some FGC lore, and one of the lore that actually came up was the Marvel versus Capcom 2 glove. And uh, I, I gotta wonder how many people actually know anything about this. But uh, yes, in fact, it is true. At one point in time, all the MVC2 players who were cool, by the way, all the, all the hip MVC2 players were wearing gloves on their right hand when they played MVC2. Why were they doing this? Why were, because, as Yipes told Jadlin, there was one point in time where after playing MVC2 for a really long time, he literally held up his hand and it was just like bleeding everywhere. And so Yipes was actually the progenitor of the Marvel versus Capcom 2 glove. And so uh, not only am I going to tell you this story, but we've got Photo evidence here. Woo! Look at my Flickr. Here's my Flickr page over here. And uh, one of the photos I've taken here, this is from Evo... Shoot, which, uh, which one is this, actually? This was Evo 2007. Evo 2007... Uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 Top 8, and yes, if you look at this carefully over here, this is Yipes versus Justin Wong, and sure enough, they are both using the infamous Moss Sticks. 
I don't know what MOS actually stands for, uh, but that's what they are over here. So you can see them chilling the mastics. We used to all play while sitting down because we were used to arcade cabinets. We did not play in our laps because the laps were not sturdy enough for the amount of violent shaking we would actually put on the controllers, especially with something like uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Now, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was very infamous for being a very mashy game. You had to mash on the buttons because a lot of the times that would lead to a lot more damage. Cable, for example, when you did Air Hyper Viper Beam, if you mash the buttons, you could get significantly more damage. Uh, you could get significantly more damage than if you didn't mash. So mashing was very, very, very important in an MVC2. But one of the absolute most important reasons why you wanted to mash is that one of the best characters in the game was Magneto. And Magneto had a combo where he would actually do air combo into hypergrav. The hypergrav didn't actually combo, but if you canceled into a super, so you went hypergrav magnetic tempest, basically the freeze of the magnetic tempest would then allow the hypergrav to get a few extra frames of movement with the enemy stuck in, in like, it would basically extend the hit stun in a way without getting super technical because when you activated the supers, the supers would animate a little bit faster before the opponent could move. And so that actually let the hypergrav move a little further. So that would actually combo uh, into the hypergrav into the magnetic tempest. Now, when the hypergrav hit, it would go pow. And you would see the guy flow over to Magneto where he goes, magnetic tempest. The rocks would form, and then brrr, they would all hit. Uh, they would all hit the opponent. So it was like it was like hypergrav magnetic tempest. Pow! The hypergrav would hit way, and then all the rocks would start hitting. The interesting thing about that is that the hypergrav state of being caught was actually escapable by mashing. <laughs> And if you were really good, you could mash the button so fast, brah, like this, that it would go hypergrab, bam, and you would pop out almost instantaneously and block all the rocks. So this became one of the most important tactics to learn in MVC2 because Magneto was so strong. Everybody, all the strong, a lot of the strongest players would be playing Magneto. So you had to learn this. And if you actually learned the technique right, it was just like, brah, brah. like you would just literally mash your hand back. It wasn't like a constant thing. Like you could actually see the players as soon as the hypergrab hits, they go boom, like really fast, like washboard meth is what we called it. And they would just go back and forth. And then the hypergrav would actually, uh, you would escape it and block the rocks. So, like I said, this became so prevalent. And if you look at the moss sticks down there, they represented old, they reflected old school arcades, which were concave buttons, not the cool, smooth, convex Sanwa buttons that we have today. They were convex. And so the rims on the, on the button were like a little bit sharper. The buttons were concave. 
cave and so when you rubbed your hand across them it would actually not be a smooth top but like you're literally rubbing your hands into little gaps in the buttons and stuff like that yes and mvc cabinets took a beating as well and so you would actually mash like that it would hurt it would actually break your hand like it would ru you would break the skin on your fingers get calluses and blisters and stuff and then eventually it was just uh not good <laughs> and so the glove was born and yipes this is one of the, I mean, this is the important MVC2 tournament too. This is Evo 2007 that you see in this picture over here. Yipes started wearing the glove and it spread everywhere. It spread everywhere and everyone started wearing gloves. I know so many people on the West Coast, on the, I think Finesse was on the West Coast, was a player on the West Coast. He got really well known for wearing the glove. And they would also wear gloves that had like the crazy, like it was the gloves, but the two fingers, like these two fingers would be cut out. Like only these fingers right here were covered in the glove, but these two were out so that they could actually like still play with their fingers on the buttons like this and then still mash like this. And so like <laughs> the glove was actually a massive, massive thing for fighting games, which is uh, hilarious. So uh, again, these are the crazy things that we would do for fighting games. And sure enough, Dude, company tried to swoop in for this glove market? Are you kidding? We weren't on the map of anything, Bassett Snake. And that, this is another interesting that thing is that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, look at big Evo. Dude, like Capcom didn't talk to us at this point in time. Nobody talked to us. This is why like these days that Evo is talking with the developers and they announce things at Evo and stuff is amazing. Even back in 2007, we were super disconnected from the entire, uh, the entire, uh, F, like the development side of things. And, and, and that's just how it was back then. So here we go. Like if you look at this and again, this is the super, super crazy Evo 2007 MVC2. Uh, so if you guys want to see a little bit more of this, we're going to do some more photo. Uh, we're going to do the uh, slideshow here. We're going to do the... Oh, God, what were those things called? The projector reels? The Those things? Oh, God, what were those things called? I can't even remember now, but let's just do this. And, and yeah, Justin is not wearing a glove because uh, he never did. I don't think Justin ever adapted the glove. Uh, I don't think he ever adapted the glove. It was always those things that you call when the vacation came back and you put them onto the little things and you slid them onto the little circular tray thing. I forgot what those things are called. Oh, man. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this. And yep, there you go. Slide projector. That's what it is. And there you see right there. And of course, sitting on the floor with the leg in front of them so they can pull the joystick onto their leg and the other leg to make sure that the controller doesn't slide to the side. This was like the standard seating position. Why didn't they swap their buttons on the mastics? Pollock Games asks. See, these are the reasons why I love these kind of questions because I don't even think about actually answering this question. The reason was, is where would you buy them? <laughs> the real answer is one, 
they are, uh, this is what we were used to in the arcade, so we want to replicate the arcade. And two, where would you buy them? <laughs> US was still used to perfect 360s and concave buttons at this point. We only switched to square gate and convex buttons during Street Fighter 4's release when the TE stick actually proliferated that style of play, the Japanese style. In fact, in one of my previous history videos, I showed that you know we had to have a different cabinet setup for the Japanese players and the American players because the difference between square gate and perfect 360 and convex and concave buttons were so massive that you couldn't just switch back and forth uh, between them. And so there it is right here. Um, and uh, yeah, this is not riding in the background. Toyota Yaris, if you notice, sponsored this year. And the only reason why Toyota Yaris sponsored this year wasn't because Toyota was like, shit, let's get into this eSports. It was because the main ad campaign guy working for Toyota Yaris at the time was a big fighting game fan. <laughs> And uh, also, coincidentally, the producer of Bang the Machine documentary, Mr. Peter Kang, and he convinced Yaris, yeah, you guys should sponsor this, uh, this Evo event. And so Yaris did sponsor the Evo event. That's why we had Mario Kart as a tournament game at Evo, which allowed me to make my only top eight at Evo. That is true. I am a Mario Kart DS top eight finisher at Evo. And uh, these were little mascots they created. Yaris just invented these little mascots and just threw them in the back. <laughs> That's it. So I did have an arcade button and cherry switch on as a keychain. Yes, I definitely did. Uh, but uh, this is Yipes with his glove over here. And uh, this is an audience here, very blurry pick because digital cameras, I apologize as the cameraman. But like I said, I'm the only one who decided to take these pictures. But these are some blurry pics of the audience. And you can see Boss sitting here. This is uh, Derek Daniels, John Choi. Here's Ricky Ortiz sitting here. Havan Khan. Uh, Havan. Uh, Havad Khan. Uh, Bill Wellman is sitting over here. Uh, a lot of really, really old school. I think that's Krizzle right there from Northern California. A lot. I think that's, is that Xian Cheng right over there, I believe? So, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, some pictures of these guys over here. More pictures over here. A little bit more of the East Coast crew. Smooth Viper sitting down over here. And then uh, I just took a bunch of pictures. I think this is Eric. I want to say this is Eric, uh, who was really good friends with Derek Daniels. Eric is uh, works on God of War. Yeah, Havad, Mr. World Series of Poker. Yes, exactly. And I believe this is Eric. And if you guys remember at the uh, Game Awards uh, this last year, Everybody who won for Game of War, God of War Ragnarok thanked an Eric. You heard a lot of people like, thank you, Eric. You did so much, blah, 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 blah. This is the Eric, okay? <laughs> this is the Eric. He was originally a, one of the people who ran Fighters.net. He was a big fighting game fan, went on to work on uh, 
God of War and then basically worked his way up to being one of the main uh, people in the uh, God of War scene. And yeah, Eric Williamson is uh, original from fighting game community. In fact, Derek Daniels over here joked to me when he and Eric both worked on the original God of War. Eric is a Zangief player. He was designing the throw system for God of War, and Derek said, now you know why Kratos can grab people from so far away. <laughs> they should have just added, huh, you know, to any time Kratos grabbed anyone. Like, you did the grab animation, the bat is, like, way up in the sky, and it just, like, vacuums into Kratos. It should have went, huh, and then he should have, like, took him for an SVD or something like that. But, yes, that is actually the same Eric. He is from the fighting game community. Just like I retweeted Boss Logic's tweet recently about Ahsoka and Rosario Dawson. And sure enough, Boss Logic is originally from the FGC. It's all crazy, dude. Everyone is in there. Dude, the Castlevania cartoon that's on Netflix. One of the main guys is an FGC guy and his brother. Uh, Samuel Dietz is the main producer, but Adam Dietz, the brother, is uh, also works on the Castlevania cartoon. And Adam Dietz is also uh, a big person from the fighting game community, originally a big third strike player and combo video maker uh, from a long time ago. Uh, and then Justin Wong defeats Yipes in what might be one of the craziest comebacks in the history of fighting games over here. And Justin is literally doing a gene splice motion. And yeah, Yipes' face. And Yipes, like, sees me taking the picture, and he actually puts on a hype face as well. Because, and this drives me nuts, too. Honestly, this drives me nuts. This video has been uploaded to YouTube, has over a million views. This is the video of Justin making this comeback. Do you know who made this video? Do you know who edited this video together? <laughs> Me. This was my video that I created for Evo right after it happened because we needed it to, we wanted to like throw out another viral video that we do every year how do i know that how can you tell that this is me you guys hear that music can anybody tell me what that music is that is from pizzicato 5 that is literally the entire track it was just a tiny, tiny little track on one of the Pizzicato 5 albums that I used for that. So I can tell you right now that like, I know exactly what song it is. I can bring it up for you if you guys really wanted me to. But yeah, I edited this whole thing together. I put this video together. This was uploaded 15 years ago, so who knew? But Jesus. Yeah, this is the video right here. And needless to say, Yipes was in the big lead here, but Justin using the invincibility on Cyclops' DP got away with a lot of stuff here. Blocking that cross up there was sick. And then DP, invincibility, and again, you guys don't realize this, but if you hit the point character before the assist actually lands and does anything, so right here, he blocks that mix-up, 
Yipes calls Psylocke over here. But since he hits Storm, Psylocke, who's invincible on the way in, if you hit the point character before the assist starts, they land, do nothing, and go away. And so even though he called Psylocke, he got DP'd, and so Psylocke literally does nothing. She lands and goes away. And then Justin gets away from this. He DHCs to try to save Storm's life. Justin shoots him from the sky. And then another invincible DP. And then this is the craziest one. That's not even a DP. Justin did Cyclops' like forward forward and like two buttons where he does the little mashy punches. I don't know what possessed Justin to even try that. But he did it and it worked. <laughs> and then Magneto died. And then here comes Storm without much life. And here comes Justin. DP, what a DP read. Ume showed you, eat your heart out. Justin Wong with the, with the Ume Gene Splice, dude. Bam, Ume Gene Splice. And there you can see a perfect example of Psylocke doing nothing. Bam, Psylocke comes down, taunts and leaves. Bam Bam dead. And by the way, uh, that is not uh, Ski Sonic. I forgot. Shoot, who was that commentator? So someone in the chat might be rem might remember uh, their name. I can't remember their name right now, but that is not uh, Ski Sonic over there. It's an old school East Coast MVC two player. Uh, I forgot the name. Let's go. But what's crazy about this is that uh, Yipe should have won. Yipe should have won two trades. But right here. Boom, 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 boom. Should have been into the Cocho, uh, Gocho, Choco guitar, whatever. The butterfly super. Yipe should have did the butterfly super. He had two meters here. Don't know why he did not. So Justin gets away here. And then Justin with the most godlike double jump in the world. Whoop! Uh oh! Uh oh! Justin Wong! Oh my, oh my god. god! Oh my god! Oh, you're always watching the bar in these games. If you're not watching the bar, you're not playing MVC2. You know what your bar is at 100% of the time. Oh yeah, and I made this, you know, all this here. I did that graphic. I did the motion graphic, everything over there. And that's what made Justin jump up and do this. Gene Splice Motion, dude. But the funny thing is, if you look at the names that I put the, on these photos, Justin does a Gene Splice imitation after his miraculous Cyclops comeback. Yipes is just as hyped and impressed as everyone else by Justin's comeback. And you know, Yipes has said this before. It was he just was having fun. Like it was never about like anything crazy. He was just always having a good time. That's why Yipes is always just having a good time. But as I see in the next picture over here, oh, the crowd can't believe what they just saw. Yeah. You see a lot of the East Coast over here just kind of like laughing. They're just like, oh my God, going crazy over here. Everybody is freaking out. <laughs> Uh, but again, <laughs> surprise, Justin shows relief after a celebration, but he can't relax because it's still 1-1. That was just 1-1 in that set. And sure enough, 
Uh, more blurry pictures. Yipes gathers himself and puts Justin in the loser's bracket. Just like the Daigo parry, after he beat Justin, he actually ends up losing to KO in grand finals. He doesn't actually win. <laughs> and so, uh, Justin doesn't even win that set. He actually gets sent to loser's bracket by Yipes. And then, uh, yeah, and then there's Yipes. Uh, posing for the crowd here, and sure enough, you can see the glove in full force over here. Uh, dude, what are all these crazy white light spots that end up, just like reflections and stuff. Yeah, he was hyped. He won. And then we went through a bunch more matches. This is Eric Smooth Viper, Arroyo. He played his match. He went up against Demon Hyo. They played against each other a bunch. More blurry audience crowds. This is, uh, oh, there's Potter right there. This is uh, NKI. Bill Wellman again. There's Havad Khan over here. This is Josh Wigfall chilling over here. Wow, I even tagged all their names, dude. Yeah, Pedro Potter, Avila, Nicholas NKI, and Abnit, and then uh, Bill Deuce, Deuce Wellman. <laughs> and so they were all here uh, checking it out. Uh, watching it, getting hype over here, more matches over here, Smooth Viper beats uh, Demon Hyo, has to fight the last West Coast Hope, which was Chris Schmidt over here, uh, Dust Particles Reflecting Flash, wow, okay, wait, you saw Combo Fiend in one of these pictures? What was Combo Fiend? Combo Fiend, where was Combo Fiend? I didn't see Combo Fiend. Oh, there he is. Yeah, Combo Fiend back there. Yep, there he is. <laughs> Chilling back over there. Okay. Uh, yeah, and they played a few more matches. Chris Schmidt ends up losing. And you see Eric uh, Smooth Viper giving Schmidt a hug. So again, for all those people who joked about Wednesday night hugs and stuff like that, we were hugging even back then with MVC2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, of course, uh, Smooth Viper celebrating with East Coast because West Coast is now done because East Coast was usually bad. So, uh, I mean, sorry, East Coast was the best and West Coast was, they weren't bad, but they could never stack up to the East Coast. This is 2007, so this is one of the Vegas casinos. This is taking place in one of the Vegas casinos. By the time we hit 2005, we were already in Vegas. And so there we go, more celebration, more celebration. Now Justin and Smooth Viper have to play for um, third place. And uh, Justin eventually goes on to defeat Smooth Viper. You can see, yeah, look, Noel Brown sitting there. They're all like bleeding onto the stage over here. Is that Flash? I think that's uh, Peter. I think, is, I think that's Peter over there. Uh, this is Desmond, a.k.a. Executioner. Uh, another extremely strong New York player. And then, uh, Yipes, I'm, Yipes comes up for grand finals. He has to go up against Justin, who beats Smooth Viper. And unfortunately, I didn't get a picture of the actual celebration, uh, at the very, very end. But, uh, as you can see in this last picture that I have here, yeah, the audience is just right on the stage. Look at this. Uh, but, um... Be matches 2-2 in a best of five series. And sure enough, Yipes ended up winning the tournament. I didn't get a picture of the celebration, but that was the, ce that was the celebration where Yipes actually 
jumped up, like one stood up and jumped and landed and twisted his ankle. And the next day on the floor of the casino, I saw Yipes being wheeled around on a wheelchair. (laughs) I was like, I didn't know Yipes at this point. He was like just a relative unknown. Like, well, not a relative unknown. People knew him, but I wasn't friends with him at the time. But I saw him and I was like, hey, what's going on over here? Yeah, this is my own personal album. I'm the only one who actually took pictures back then because I was like, this is history. We need to record this. But I saw Yipes and I was like, hey, man, congratulations. And Yipes just looked at me and the first thing he says is, fat man shouldn't jump. Is what he said. <laughs> Cause he won Evo and he was like, Fat Man shouldn't jump. <laughs> and uh sure enough, the interesting thing about this, and I love telling this story because I also told this story to Jadlin as well. And Yipes always feels embarrassed because I tell this story about Yipes in front of people, in front of Yipes all the time. And Yipes, he's just not the kind of person that's just like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I did this shit. You know, but I've often said Yipes is one of the people that I would trust with my life. And one of the reasons why is because there's the story of him being on the subway in New York when an old man, an old gentleman fell onto the tracks, like literally just fell into the tracks from the platform and a freaking train was coming (laughs) and the train was coming. Nobody did anything. Except Yites, who immediately, with them fighting game reactions, might I remind you, with those Magneto reactions, jumped down into the platform. And as soon as he did, spurred everybody else to run over there. And then they all helped Yipes carry the guy out of the platform and then eventually help Yipes get out of the platform. But sure enough, jumping down into the platform, that's a long jump, by the way. He re-injured that same ankle, unfortunately, and so he was hurt again for a little while. But again, that is the kind of character that Yipes has, right? That's the kind of human being he is and why I often say Yipes is like someone I would trust with my life and why I think he's one of like literally the best people in the fighting game community, uh, honestly, like him, L.I. Joe, like our two people, like I would, I would like, I would take a bullet for them, you know, honestly, but that's a little bit of fighting game history for you guys over there. The secret of the glove. And like I said, it was, it was, Yipes was the progenitor. He was the one who popularized the glove and everyone started wearing it. And I have these photos here. And like I said, I was able to bust these out and show you and give you a little bit of history and context of what was going on in there. So (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed that little bit of history. Um, Again, uh, I I did one a while ago where I was talking about what it's like labbing from uh, I would take a hyper viper beam for them. I would call the assist, jump down, get shot by air hyper viper beam so that the other guy could survive. Absolutely, dude. I would absolutely do that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the glove was originally. (laughs) I don't know, but they were thin, very felt gloves. They were like felt gloves. Like it wasn't like a thick glove. It wasn't like a workman's glove, but it was like almost like a massage glove. You know how you get kind of like a, it's like a thin layer and stuff like that. So I'm not sure exactly uh, what it was, but in any case, 
that's some more fighting game history. I did one a while ago, so if you guys didn't have a chance to see that one either, I did one on what it's like to lab in the fighting game community back in the day when we didn't have training mode and stuff. So you can check that out on youtube.com slash TV. If you guys actually... Butler gloves! <laughs> There you go. If you guys enjoyed this kind of content, please let me know to keep doing this. And also, tweet it out. Let people know about this content on my channel and stuff. Because, you know, as a content producer, it's a tricky game to play, right? So I made the history. A lot of people like the history. History isn't documented on there. Uh, I put it out and honestly, it didn't get a lot of views on YouTube, which makes me sad. But uh, hopefully we can uh, rectify that in the future. So in any case, that's a little bit of history for you guys. Uh, if you enjoyed it, like, subscribe, comment below. Let me know. I'll keep trying to make more history stuff like this. Uh, after this, I'm just going to do a Q&A so you guys can look on YouTube for some Q&A topics. Uh, also uploaded to YouTube as well. Uh, but other than that, I hope you guys really, really enjoyed this episode here. For those of you on Twitch, don't go anywhere. We'll continue with that Q&A coming right up. But for those of you on YouTube, thank you for watching. And you definitely know that the day that this podcast and this video graced your presence was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. For you, it was Tuesday. This is the podcast about all fighting games and uh, with your host, James Chen, a.k.a. Jay Chenzor. And sure enough, nobody calls me Jay Chenzor. <laughs> Everyone just calls me James Chen because it's actually shorter to say James Chen. Uh, but interesting week here. Not a lot of news going on over here. Uh, normally, I've had all these Tekken reactions and Street Fighter Six dev matches to react to. None of that today. So, you know, every once in a while, I do a Q&A stream where I just open up questions to the chat. And uh, we just talk about things that way. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're doing a little bit of a Q&A here. Uh, if any of the topics get a longer discussion, I'll break them out into their own videos, etc., etc. You can look for those on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash TV. But if you ever want to catch one of these things live... It's always on Tuesday. That's why it's called It Was Tuesday. And um, it's uh, on twitch.tv slash TV. So let's go ahead and open this up to the chat. As you can see, the beautiful chat over here. Guest starring you. Uh, so let's go ahead and open it uh, for the forums over here. Any questions that you'd like to... I mean, you missed all of the, the good part here. I talked about the history of the glove of MVC2 Best of Five show. You missed the glove. <laughs> I'm already on to the Q&A section here. A bunch of people were asking questions uh, early on. 
Let me know what questions you guys have. I said, save it for the Q&A. Put those questions in the chat right now because I'm not seeing any of these questions in the chat right now. This is going to be a very short episode if I get no questions over here. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, God, it's a high note. Ding. Anyways, uh, why am I so awesome? Because I'm not. <laughs> Oh, the legendary Street Fighter movie. What are my thoughts? I mean, look, if they can do it right, Street Fighter movie can be very good, but it needs to be closer to Bloodsport than anything, right? A lot of people, I haven't seen it yet, but, you know, people are saying that the plot to Super Mario Brothers, the movie, is pretty paper thin, right? But the thing about it is the movie gives us everything that we wanted out of a Mario movie, right? You watch Street Fighter, the movie, the one with Van Damme, it, there's like, it gets through like at least two thirds of the movie before two people actually fight. <laughs> like nobody fights, like Ryu and Vega are about to fight in a cage match and then a truck drives through the wall. Like all you have to do for a good, this is why the Mortal Kombat movie was good. It was just like fight, 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 fight. Plot, whatever, fight, fight, fight. That's what we want to see in a Street Fighter movie. So uh, that's the important thing. So as long as they can do something like that and maybe get the Assassin's Fist guys involved because the Assassin Fist guys did a really great job, I think would be really, really, really cool. So has the FGC had a big innovation like the leverless controller before? Uh, it's hard to say because the problem with it was we were tied to the arcade cabinets for a long time. When we went to the home version, everybody was trying to play on the home like an arcade. Like I showed in the picture in this section over here, people were playing with the mastics on the ground because then it wouldn't shake and everything. It would be sturdy like it is in an actual arcade and stuff. Uh, so in terms of like innovation for like controllers and stuff like that, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to say that there was any sort of crazy innovations as impactful as leverless controllers outside of the proliferation of pad players that got stronger and stronger as time went on. So for sure, there was definitely a lot of uh, players getting stronger. And, you know, the reason why Snake Eyes and Vangief were so scary at first as Zangief players is because they did SPDs on pads. And it was so much more of a subtle motion instead of seeing the guy shake their whole entire body trying to spinning pile drive as fast as possible, which is uh, what made the pad geefs really scary. Of course, in the arcade, there was also a technique called the Hajiki screw, uh, which they highlight in in high score girl which is funny because it was invented by tmf tmf was the uh creator of the hajiki screw where basically if you flick the joystick in a certain way the spring would have enough momentum that it would spin the joystick for you in five eighths three fourths of a circle and then you could just basically walk up and go bah, bah, like this and you would actually uh Oh yeah, Fnatic and the one button dash, yeah. But like on the joystick, like you would literally just kind of like take the stick and you would be like, you would like flick it like this in a certain way and the spring would actually cause it to spin. 
and then you could do an SPD in the fastest possible with as little bodily movement as possible. And so you could catch a lot of people off guard much quicker with a spinning pile driver than people were actually used to. Uh, but yeah, uh, Fnatic on the Dreamcast pad, there were only six buttons and all the fighting games required six buttons. Fnatic remapped one of the assist buttons to dash so he could try dash better with the... Uh, with a, with a pad with the triggers over there and he could basically have a stronger rushdown magneto at the sacrifice of an assist button and you know the rules for the rulings for evo was always as long as you can set it, the controls that way in the game you were allowed to do it uh even to the point where uh soul caliber one year had the hilda glitch which they actually let rock at Evo was 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 deemed illegal because it was something that you could set in the game. And so Fnatic actually sacrificed one assist button, which is a huge handicap to gain the strength of being able to do more perfect try dashes with Magneto. And uh, yeah, it was a very controversial thing. A lot of people thought it was kind of cheating. Other people was just like, oh, this is not like the pure way to play it. You are desecrating, you know, Marvel, et cetera, et cetera. So it's uh, really interesting <laughs> uh, in terms of like, but I mean, I wouldn't call that a crazy innovation, Elon. So uh, I, I would imagine say... Um, no, their initial reaction to pad players was not like the reaction to Leverless at all because pads were considered uh, weaker. When people first started going there, they were like, you're a pad player, you'll never succeed. That was the attitude. We had this holier-than-thou attitude of pad players were inferior. They could never be as good as a joystick player. Whereas when the hitbox and leverless controllers came out, it was clear that they could do things that you couldn't on other things. And so there was this fear of them being a cheater box, right? They had the ability to do things more efficiently. And so there was this... Con, you know, concept of this is better than what we should be allowed to do. And so that's why you have the reaction from a lot of old school players who played on joysticks. When we went to pads, they were inferior because you couldn't do motions on the pad as easily, blah, 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 blah. But over time, people have all disproven that, right? Like one of the most famous ones is there's no way a Zato player can play Zato on a pad. Impossible impossible to play him on a pad because it required twister with your fingers and that was all beautiful dude needed to hear to try to prove people wrong and beautiful dude was inspired by the naysayers and he became one of the top west coast zato players on a pad like literally there's no disadvantage to playing on a pad. And a lot of times now people even talk about some of the advantages, like I mentioned the snake eyes and the Vangi thing. So when we started moving towards consoles and more people were using pads, nobody bat an eye because we all just felt like, hey, if you're busting this thing out to play fighting games, I'm, I'm holding up a PlayStation 5 pad here. If you're doing that, then you are just hurting yourself. I'm sorry, this is a PlayStation 4 pad. Uh, you're just hurting yourself. So there we go. Uh, I actually wear arthritis gloves because of my psoriasis. 
as it turns out, they work great when playing arcade games also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Villager asked the question, what's your thoughts about the SF6 music? I feel like the character themes are too poor compared to older Street Fighter games. Interesting question, Villager. Let's have a preview over here. I was actually going to talk a lot about the music next week. Mainly because uh, 17 themes have been revealed. Uh, only Cammy's theme has yet to be put on YouTube. I was thinking about actually talking about all the themes today. But I'm going to wait till Cammy's theme comes out. And that will be all 18 themes. And I will definitely dedicate an episode to talking about the themes. So there's a little preview for next week. Villager stealing my topics over here. Stealing my topics. Uh, I be, uh, I, I, Ib, Ib, Ib Delgado. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I really apologize for that. Uh, Delgado asks, uh, Delgado asks, um, do you think fighting games are a genre that can realistically have single player content good enough to attract new players? It feels like it all gets old so fast. Yeah, it does. It can, it can. Uh, there's like the VF4 evolution had really good one player content. Alpha 3 on the PlayStation 1 had world tour mode, which was so fun for a lot of people. A lot of people loved it. And it's why in Street Fighter 6, they're calling this mode world tour mode because it's literally the name they're deriving it from basically the best one player content in Street Fighter home version history, uh, which was for Street Fighter Alpha 3. Basically, you played the game and you would get extra powers like the ability to chain any normal moves be able to cancel specials into supers and things like that and you just gain these power-ups as you kept playing and you could like take them off and put them on they turned it into a role-playing game and it was actually really fun i really dug the world tour mode on there and yeah mk has a ton of single player content as well story mode is great that's what we're expecting that's why for street fighter 5 we're all like why didn't you at least give us a story mode on launch but story mode isn't the right answer right so this world tour thing that street fighter 6 is doing i've been told by capcom that world tour mode could have been a video game by itself that's how robust it's supposed to be and in one of the trailers they showed they showed this big usa globe and then they showed us running through all of metro city and then they introduced manon and marisa and they actually showed a greece oh no it was italy and france globes so i'm actually feeling like this. again look i know i'm in the game i don't know anything but my Tinfoil hat theory is that because it's called World Tour, Metro City is not going to be the only place we're going to be able to run around. My belief is that you're going to be able to run around all over the world, and uh, that means there's going to just it's going to be super extensive. That's the hope. That's the prayer uh, at that point in time. So, uh, let's see here. Investigation cone. At so yes, I do think. Uh, one player content can be robust enough in fighting games. You just have to take the time. The biggest problem right now is it hasn't proven to help sell games. Nobody's really done it because they're not sure if it would help sell games, right? If we took all the one player content away from the NRS games, would it make a difference to the sales? Or do people just want to see fatalities or fight with Superman? Well, my friend played Injustice 2 for about 100 hours and never went online and never fought another human being in their life. They just played all the one-player content in there. So I think that the answer is absolutely, undefiably yes. 
So I really think it's really important that you actually take the time to put stuff like that in there. It's just how do you convince a fighting game to spend extra budget on that? Especially, see, the difference too was also in the past. Remember, these games are being made for the arcade. So whenever they made it for the home, it was just easy to port them for to the home, right? You didn't make these fighting games with the idea of adding one-player content, right? You just made fighting games because they were meant to be played in the arcade. But... You know, Alpha 3 did it with the PlayStation 1, etc. And it was pretty cool and everything. Soul Calibur and Soul Calibur 2 had a robot. And in fact, Soul Calibur 1 on the Dreamcast was the first game ever to score a perfect 40 in Famitsu. Or was it Gamist? In Gamist? Gamist was the first video game ever to receive a perfect 40 score because it had so much one-player content. So clearly, it makes a difference. And to this day, people say Soul Calibur 1 is still one of the best versions of the game because it had so much content. So absolutely, it's worth it. And and we just have to prove that now. And, to show, and, and basically, I mean, this is why I hope Street Fighter 6 sells really well, not being a shill, but just being... To the point where this can prove to the rest of the world. Like, can you imagine if Harada sees Street Fighter VI sell really well and all the reviews are like, wow, one-player content is so good. Then hopefully that means they'll make as much one-player content for Tekken 8, right? I mean, that's kind of what we want. That's kind of the, 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 the situation that we're trying to get. So yeah, one-player content absolutely, absolutely makes a difference. Uh, Investigation Cohen asks, among majors in the early days, is there a character that was tournament banned and should not have been banned? And any that should have been banned or and were not? The FGC has a very, very, very long history of not banning anything. <laughs> not banning anything. The only things that were banned in a lot of the majors, and again, this was the arcade bias were console-exclusive characters. Even if they were bad, good, fair, broken, whatever. They were banned because people who only played in the arcade had no access to practice against these characters, right? They also, you know, they couldn't play on the pads, so they couldn't really practice at home, whatever. They didn't have access to joysticks because none of... Dude, I had to spend like $300 to import Hori sticks from Japan into the United States and got them all stolen at Evo because that's just how it was. People just stole joysticks back then. <laughs> Someone even knows, knew the guy who stole one of my sticks because I had changed all the button colors and the, he was trying to sell the stick and the guy's like, I know whose stick that is, you stole it. And that guy disappeared and never showed up again. Um, but uh, no, no one ever banned anybody uh, that shouldn't have been banned or anything like that. The only character that's ever been banned for real, for real, that was available in the arcade really was Akuma in Super Turbo because, again, this was before real tournaments were taking place, so Capcom didn't care. It was just a funny secret to put in this super overpowered character into the game, and he wasn't even as powerful as the computer version, and he was just in the game, but literally, yeah, some characters just can't beat him, like... Akuma versus Angief is like a 10-0 matchup. Like, round one, fight. Jump back, throw an air fireball. That's it. The game is over. Jump back, throw an air fireball. 
funny enough, that whole thing was also featured in High Score Girl in a very crucial scene. <laughs> the Akuma versus Zangief matchup. <laughs> oh, man. I lost two Hori Sticks total. I've had two Hori Sticks stolen from me at two Evos uh, during the history of my uh, fighting game days. So, uh, yeah, it was very hard to get them. And so people were stealing them a lot back then. People, I know a lot of people who actually uh, lost a lot of joysticks back then. So, um, so yeah, uh, nothing in memory right now that I can think of that should not have been banned. Uh, let's see. TC Legacy asks, who are you going to play in Street Fighter 6 and Tekken 8? Tekken 8 roster is not finalized, but SF6 release roster is already done. Everyone looks so good. Both games look so nice. I fell in love with Kimberly during the beta because she's actually a good Lucia. A Lucia that's actually playable. Uh, don't get me started on this right now. I'm still so depressed about Lucia. So I loved Kimberly, so I'll definitely be playing her, but I'm going to try to make sure in Street Fighter 6, especially because ranked mode, they have already stated that every character will have different points. So that way, if you get to a certain rank with one character and want to experiment with another character, you don't demolish your score trying to learn the character. Um, I'm also going to try to learn multiple characters. Cammy obviously has to be in there because she's she's she's... She's the bay for me, right? And then uh, also Zangief. Because Zangief, oh, oh, oh my god, he looks so good. And I'm still a grappler at heart. I've always been a grappler at heart. Zangief was one of my first mains a long time ago. So I'm still going to be playing some... I, I want to get back into the grapplers. So if Zangief is good, I will definitely be playing some Zangief. Those are the three characters. For Tekken 8, it's King, 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 and King. I mean, I played King in Tekken 7 because Tekken 5, I saw him throw someone out of the air. And like I said, the grappler in heart of me, at heart in me was like, <laughs> he, threw, he threw him out of the air as the juggle. And so like uh, Tekken 5 made me kind of like King, but I never took any Tekken seriously until 7. King was my main. And then uh, Tekken 8 was like, yeah, it's Tekken 8. I don't know how much I'm going to get into this because I found out I really suck at Tekken. And, you know, there's so many fighting. Then the King trailer came out. And then King did a juggle with a throw that relaunched the opponent so he could juggle with another throw. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and again, like, in theory, as a fighting game designer, there's no difference between juggling with a throw that launches than just having a big old move that has similar frame data that just launches them up again in any way. But it's a fucking throw into another throw, animation-wise. And that's all that matters. Yes, there's really truly no difference between a hit that launches or, uh, or you know, a, a throw that launches. But it was so sick. It was so sick. Uh, yeah, Shay, just feel free to drop any questions into the chat. Just drop it in there. So uh, what is this YouTube link that we are seeing over here? What is this over here? Oh, this is the Zangief theme. Yeah, I'll get to the themes, like I said, uh, in the future over here. 
Oh yeah, that's right. World tour on Dreamcast. You could you could download your character on the little VMU uh, on the World Tour Alpha Three and take them to your friend's house and actually have your configuration saved on there. So when you fought your friends in World Tour b- battle, you guys could play your cracked out characters against each other. Yes, yes, I remember that now. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, if, again, best of show, uh, Elon, I don't actually know that we can have multiple places to stop in, but that is my guess. That is my theory based on what they've showed us in trailers. I think they're trying to be sneaky and give us hints on that. So I believe that that's actually what's going to uh, happen over there. Uh, following on the discourse L.I. Joe started and you followed up on Twitter, is the range FGC's contents becoming too similar because only certain types of content is working well for creators? A uh, little bit. Yeah, it's it's tough. So the, what L.I. Joe tweeted was, is like, do, do we have a lack of educational content on on YouTube for the fighting game to help people learn fighting games? And I responded... Uh, yeah, but the problem is when you make educational content, nobody watches it. Like, I have the first attack series, and a couple of the first first attack series videos that I made have a lot of views, but then it just tapers down. And the amount of work that I put into the first attack videos, I slideshows, you know, I made PowerPoints, I rehearsed them before I actually streamed them. I made photoshops to show like zone, like how to fight zoners and space control and attack vectors and all these things like that. I put a ton of work into them and they would get no views. They, they would get no views. (laughs) So, uh, oh, Sejam actually talked about that today. Okay. Yeah, because he probably saw the conversation there. So I'm planning to redo educational content when Street Fighter VI drops, of course, like everybody is. I'm going to try to do it differently, a little bit easier, and not as stupidly uh, crazy. <laughs> stupidly crazy. And so, I mean, my my content, I mean, it would be like 23, 25 minutes long or whatever. But uh, I, I, I don't think that educational content does as well. I really don't. Um, it's it, it just, honestly, like you'll see it on most channels. It's like, hey, here's all this stuff. And then this educational content on there gets significantly less views than other uh, videos on there. Uh, most people are right, including Say Jam, is that we just know, we just have to know how to do it better. We just know how to do the content better. And that's what I have to learn now. I'm just going to have to make educational content that's a little more off the cuff, a little less like detailed. Like I was doing college courses. Like I was literally trying to replicate like a college course. And that's not what people want. And so, I mean, look, I made little educational content on like what's Oki? <laughs> what is the neutral? You know, stuff like that. These are two and a half minute videos, three minute videos, and they didn't even get that many views. And they took me so much work to make those. Took me like two weeks to make like a three minute video, damn it. So I just have to reframe my mind on how to do educational content and I will try to do it in a different way. So while I don't agree with what Sajam says necessarily, I do think that educational content, content is a harder sell. But he is right 
in that we have kind of been doing educational content very poorly up to this point, and we need to do better with the educational content. So that's that's kind of the sign. So keep an eye out on youtube.com slash TV because new educational... First Attack 2023, the series is coming out, although now that Mono has co-opted the name of my series for his tournaments i still tried calling it first attack but i don't want it to be confusing i might just have to call it something else at this point in time so i mean it is a fun rewarding thing maybe because <laughs> i'll tell you right now from a monetary standpoint it's not very rewarding at all it's not very rewarding at all <laughs> Uh, you don't know when videos come out on the Ultra Chen YouTube channel? You can subscribe to the YouTube channel right now at youtube.com slash Ultra Chen TV. There's a subscribe button down here somewhere on here. Definitely click on that button, then click on the little icon to make sure that you get the notifications when my videos come out. Like and subscribe, comment below, and give the support to Ultra Chen uh, TV. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, see, best of, best of five show, there you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hope I answered that question for you. Let's go to another question over here. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, the first Famitsu 40 out of 40 was Super Mario 64. Okay, no, it wasn't Super Mario 64. It was Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time and Soul Calibur were the two first... 40 out of 40 games. So if it wasn't Soul Calibur, it had to be Ocarina of Time, Gundam Jehudi Kai. Uh, pretty sure, pretty sure. <clears throat> How about having throw as a launcher? Dude, Zangief had a throw launcher in X-Men versus Street Fighter, but when you jump cancel it, you couldn't, it wasn't fast enough to let you combo after it. I know in some of the betas it probably was, and they took it away because people probably thought it was too cheap. I've always been mad about that. I've always been mad that Zangief's throw launcher didn't actually lead to an air combo. <laughs> Favorite Chinese dishes? Uh, Nyoro Mian. Easily one of them. Beef soup noodles. Beef soup noodles. Uh, Hakkao, uh, a.k.a. Hargao, a.k.a. Shajiao. Uh, shrimp dumplings, another one of my absolute favorite Chinese dishes. Uh, like those two come to my mind right away as like two of my favorite Chinese dishes of all time. Oh, oh, shizuto, lion heads, another one, one of my favorite of all time. Now, I will also add the caveat that all of my favorite Chinese food is also whatever my mom cooks because my mom's Chinese food is the greatest Chinese food in the world. I know everybody says that about their parents' food, but it's just like everybody else who ever visits and eats my mom's food is usually like, holy crap, this is so good. Like my mom is the absolute most ridiculous cook out there. The, the lion heads that she makes, the, the, uh, the, the, the Nero Min that she makes, uh, she makes this pork carrot stew that is just like, oh, it is so good. Oh my God. So... <laughs> Uh, it, my mom is just, oh, such, mom is just been one of the greatest cooks that I've ever known. So, uh, let's see, do, 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 what else do we have here? 
Have you or are you going to watch the Super Mario movie? I have not seen it yet. I want to see it, but I just have no pressure to see it. Like the Marvel movies I want to go see because I, one, I, I'm obsessed with the MCU. And two, there's spoilers. <laughs> there's no spoilers in the Mario Brothers movie. Oh, there's a Mario Kart scene in there. <laughs> no way. <laughs> they put Mario Kart in the, in the movie. <laughs> Bowser's in it? <laughs> like, what? If they were like, oh, by the way, Rosalina and Daisy have cameo. Whatever. Like, who the freak cares? So I'm not really all that worried about it. I'll watch it when I get a chance. It'll probably come out on Peacock or Paramount Plus. I forgot which one does all the Illumination uh, animated movies, but whichever one, it'll eventually show up there. So. I've never seen any of the John Wick movies, Shogundo, so I'm even further behind than you are. Uh, if I made a new fighting game, what defensive mechanic would I have in it, asks Benedict's Eggs. If I made a new fighting game, what defensive mechanics would I have in it? It really just depends on what kind of game I would be trying to make. Honestly, uh, because... It really depends, right? Like, I can't say that I would put push block in it because that's really important because if push block existed in certain games, it would absolutely be awful. <laughs> but in certain games like Marvel, without push block, the game would be impossible to play because there would be nothing but block string infinites all day. <laughs> uh, so uh, definitely depends on the game that I am making. And what I want out of the game. That's the most important thing about fighting games too. Is that they're all so different from each other. There is no universal answer. So for example. I want to make a Rival Schools game. I want to make a new Rival Schools game. I want to make a new Yi'ar Kung Fu game. I want to make an Avatar The Last Airbender game. Uh, if I made all three of those games. They would all be extremely different from each other. And every single one of them would have a different defensive mechanic set. So it's impossible to really answer that question. You can't answer And you shouldn't be able to answer that question until you know exactly what your fighting game is going to be and what you want it to be. Uh, got you. Uh, uh, the listeners at home know exactly what's going on now. Hi. Hi. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan's like, ah, oh, get me out of here. Oh, you can see him. He's struggling. He's struggling. Go, go, go. All right, let's see. How's that Optimus Prime? He's doing well. I just bust out my Lego Optimus Prime onto the stream over here. First Attack as a series is absolutely incredible if you have the commitment. It's a master class, not a YouTube series. Yeah, it's really actually true. The worst part about it is I never finished it. I never finished it, unfortunately. Like, the last episode just stops partway through because I just got sick of editing it. Oh, it was such a pain in the ass, dude. Uh, if players aren't learning on YouTube educational content, then where are players learning? Discord, forums, trial and error? Uh, yeah, largely through Discord forums, uh, missing score, score, missing score, uh, discords largely is where it's coming from. Nathan is rubbing his head all over the microphone. Um, but also a lot of them aren't 
except through trial and error by playing online. And that's why it's hard for a lot of people to get farther in fighting games. I mean, as much as I lamp lambast myself for doing so poorly on ranked i'm on super diamond in uh in street fighter 5 for very little play my i remind you i really honestly have not been playing street fighter 5 online for like the past seven years it has been super on and off because i don't play online unless you see me stream it and if you actually go back through my history, I haven't streamed that much Street Fighter V playing online. So uh, honestly, being at Super Diamond with the amount that I've played is actually really freaking impressive. And somebody was saying like, yeah, if you're in Super Diamond, you're like in the top 2%. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the thing. Most people can't get past bronze. They'll never get out of bronze or even silver, right? Like, the reason why is because they aren't learning and there's no nothing out there that's teaching you how to play fighting games. And that is one of the hardest things about it. And yeah, a Best of V show uh, says it's important to mention that different people learn in different ways. Some people thrive in trial and error environments, right? Those are the people who get good playing only online. But there are a lot of people who don't. And that's the hard part is that ranked does not give you multiple ways to learn how to play fighting games. It gives you one way on how to play fighting games. And that's that's just not going to work, unfortunately. Um, so uh, a lot of people aren't learning. A lot of people are not learning at all. And that is one of the weaknesses of the fighting game, which is why I said earlier, you know, we need the game itself needs to teach you. And again, one of the core fundamental themes in my upcoming First Attack 2023 series is going to be the fact that fighting games are very hard because everything you learn that works eventually stops working. Fighting games are just constantly adaptation. You just have to be evolving along the entire time, be willing to throw away things that you've learned and replace them with other things. And it's one of... The most difficult things about fighting games. Uh, let's see. Is it harder to base a profitable channel? Oh, it is. Okay, that's that's based on the educational stuff. Let's see over here. Do, 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 do. Clickbait. Yeah, clickbait people to educational content. Ooh, Investigation Cone says the total list of games with 4040 and Famitsu is as follows. Yep, Ocarina of Time first, then Soul Calibur uh, on Dreamcast, then Vagrant Story, then Wind Waker on GameCube, etc., etc., continuing forward from that point. But yes, Ocarina of Time was the first one. Uh. <laughs> Love the uh, Olaf talk. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, Brawl, they gave a perfect score because of Subspace Emissary. So again, Smash Brothers had this crazy one-player mode with the Subspace Emissary. And it was a big deal at the time having that one-player content. And it did a great job teaching people how to play Smash because it forced you to use every character. And then... It also let you pick characters on certain stages, and you know what you would do? You would pick your favorite character, the one that you were doing the best with. It made you find a main character 
The subspace emissary made you find main characters and taught you how to use your weapons and your arsenal in different ways. You don't realize how much that subspace emissary is teaching you. It was actually a really genius mode out there uh, that I guess Nintendo just didn't see fit to keep going or maybe it was just way too much goddamn work to do. Uh, but they've made similar things like the Smash, the latest Smash had that crazy one player mode with Kirby trying to rescue everybody and turn everybody back from being turned into stone and stuff like that. But yeah, Brawl probably got a 40 because of the subspace emissary. Uh, and Famitsu, like you can see, they're really into the having that kind of variety and having that one player content kind of thing. Uh, let's see. What do I hope to see in Street Fighter 6 arcade mode? To be fair, I don't even care if Street Fighter 6 has an arcade mode. Maybe it will exist in Fighting Grounds, but what I would like to see in it is random opponents beat them goofy ending. <laughs> like, that's what I want to see in an arcade mode for Street Fighter 6. And I would love to be able to see that, you know, the AI has some sort of more intelligent basis on, you know... Uh, like, it was interesting, like, you know, when you played Street Fighter 2 arcade mode, it was really interesting because Ken would jump at you a lot, right? And Ryu wouldn't jump at you. He just threw fireballs and tried to sweep you and stuff like that. Like, if they could design certain characters to teach different kind of things like that, I think that would work. But arcade mode shouldn't be crazy. Like, arcade mode should just literally be beat up on the computer with the difficulty levels on the AI, and then just get a goofy ending. Like, it shouldn't be anything more extensive than that, honestly. Uh, other modes in the game exist now to be able to do things that the arcade mode doesn't have to. Should the arcade mode exist? Maybe. I don't know if anybody would use it, but, you know, just sitting there playing against the computer is stuff that, you know, my brother would want to do, for example. He just wants to be able to play characters and try to land combos on something that isn't a training mode, right? When he played Street Fighter 4, that's all he did was play arcade mode and beat it, and he just wanted to see the goofy endings. And he kept track of every character he beat the game with. And so he would end up using every character as a result in Street Fighter 4. There's some value to that. So I think that's all you really, really need in there. Ghost mode would be cool, but ghost modes are very difficult, Johnny Wufei. Uh, they're very difficult, and I think they require a lot of work. I mean, you saw in Samurai Showdown, they're like, we're going to have this crazy ghost mode game came out, and I don't even know if it ever worked. <laughs> I don't know if it actually ever worked. Uh, let's see. In terms of educational stuff in games, I believe games like Skullgirls, Undernight, and Killer Instinct have the best tutorials to actually learn the game. More stuff of that quality, maybe? Uh, Solanero? Uh, people have heard me say this before, but I think all those training modes are terrible. Uh, and people are going to be like, what? Because, honestly, they work the best for people who already know how to play fighting games and go, yeah, see, that's important to learn and that's important to teach. Uh, I've gone over this topic many, many, many times. The best tutorials ever in a fighting game, break the target, home run contest. 
and uh, get the platforms, the platform jump thing in in Mario sixty in, in Smash Brothers sixty four. Those three are by far the best tutorials that have ever been in a fighting game in existence because they taught you how to play the game and you had no idea that you were uh, pl- you were learning. No idea you were learning the entire time. I learned how to short hop down A with Yoshi so I could go dun 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 You know, because that that home run contest taught me how to short hop. It also taught me how to control the opponent where they get launched because you wanted to keep them on the platform. The future home run contest put that shield in there. That is baby shit, dude. Like, as soon as they did that, they ruined the home run contest. Let me tell you, break the targets, taught you how to use, like a lot of times you see a target and be like, how do I hit that? And then you're like, oh, PK Thunder. And then you just like shot the shot and like guided it through the maze and hit. Or you're like, oh, I can use Pikachu and lightning through the the ceiling and hit the thing up there. Like hit the break. Home run contest taught you damage and how to control the opponent. Break the targets taught you move and what to do. The difference is one is focusing on damage. The other one's focusing on just hitting things. Break the targets. It didn't matter if you hit the target with a jab. It didn't matter if you hit it with Jigglypuff sleep. It didn't matter whatever. It broke the target. So that forced you into movement and how how to use your tools. Home run contest taught you sweet spots. You'd be like, wait, why did this move do this much damage? One time, but not the other. Oh, I see sweet spot. I learned sweet spots through home run cons. It was about doing damage. It was about figuring out how to damage your opponent and keep your opponent next to you so that you could damage them. These modes taught you all sorts of different things. And so that's those are the best educational tools in any fighting game ever. The ones that are literally... This is a playing fighting games. You use these buttons to do this. Like everyone does it for the trophy and then they'll never play it again and they just don't remember anything. It's just nobody really knows. <laughs> Amsa holds the Yoshi break the targets record. What a shock. Have you seen Amsa throw those eggs? Holy crap. Holy crap. <laughs> God, that guy is good. Uh... You don't think that those are good enough for learning still. Uh, It's a combination of everything, but they're the best of what we've had, of what we had. There's no context to how it relates. It doesn't need the context. That's the thing. Like you learn it and then people put, put the pieces together themselves and that will be stronger learning. That will be stronger learning because then they'll be like, oh shoot, I remember I could do this. I remember I could do this. And when you have the player do the recall themselves, that is a more powerful teaching tool than anything you can tell anybody, right? They say that the best way for you to learn is if you could teach somebody else. Well, technically, when you do the recall in a match, you're teaching yourself, and that's how you're going to learn. So I don't agree that the lack of context hurts it. I still think it's the best one that we've ever had. Like, having anything afterwards be like, okay, now that you've learned this, this is how you apply it, will do nothing. I just don't think it'll improve anything. 
I really don't because it's text on the screen and you're sitting there reading it as opposed to like, I remember hitting the sweet spot with this move with Zelda and then you're like playing in a match and then you hit with the sweet spot and you're like, oh shit, that's right. And then like things just come into play that way. Uh, I think it's really an important way to have people learn through enjoyment and through self-discovery. I think it's one of the most important ways to learn anything. Uh, let's see. Speaking of Street Fighter VI, asks Elon uh, of Best of Five Show, do you have any thoughts on the players who are super cracked at the game? They seem to always crack the top spots. Yeah, let them. Let them. They'll have success early on, but that success will be fleeting. And honestly, with the way that they only have access to eight characters, it's not really going to matter. You're not going to really learn how to fight against Marisa any faster than anybody else. You're going to learn how to do with what your character can do, but you're not going to learn like how to fight a lot of these other characters. But it's, it's just not a significant enough of an advantage, in my opinion, to really be that concerned about it. Um, I, I, I really don't think we have to be that concerned. So, um, better place for Evo top eight ballroom versus arena. Uh, I prefer the ballroom, but that was only because we had a certain size that the ballroom could accommodate in the last few years before we moved to the arena. It was crazy how the Evo top eight room would get bigger and bigger and still never enough room and never enough seats. It was absolutely wild. It was wild. So right now the arena is the better option, but for smaller tournaments, absolutely. The ballroom is a better option, honestly. Uh, but for the size of Evo having that many people, yeah. Uh, the arena is the right call. And also it just makes it feel like such a spectacle. Like it gives it that presence. Like this is a big deal. And Evo deserves that. Evo needs that and should have that. And to have it be kind of unique in one of the only arena events in the FGC, I think is a good thing to really make Evo stand out. But having said that, do I want to see combo breaker go arena not really <laughs> i like combo breaker as a ballroom i like frosty faustings as a ballroom like i like ceo in the boxing ring that's a unique thing they did an arena but with the boxing ring or the wrestling ring i should say sorry and so that's really cool too so obviously different events can do different flavors but uh, again there's no preference because it's really what the event calls for, uh, uh, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is tough to justify paying for two different tickets, but also, like, <laughs> how else are they going to afford the arena? <laughs> the arena is not cheap. So, yeah, they could just do the ballroom thing again, but honestly, uh, if they did the ballroom format in the convention center... It would be kind of miserable because it's all hard floors and echoey and cold and, 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 and it just doesn't have that same feel, you know, as a ball, as a carpeted ballroom with a stage and all that stuff like that. So, uh, I'd rather have it be at the arena and then you can't pay for the arena 
without selling separate tickets, honestly. So, and the arena's a fridge too. Yeah. It can get really cool or really hot as we all experienced at, uh, well, they experienced at Evo Japan and we experienced at Frosty Faustings. Frosty Faustings this past year, they ran into that same problem. The ballroom wasn't big enough. They, they, I guess they just didn't anticipate that many people. And it was a sauna in there, man. It was a sauna in that ballroom. Holy crap. <laughs> wow, it was cold. I mean, it was hot in there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, you just throw some games right there. How about elaborating on one, one of them? Oh, like the rival schools one, uh, like for defensive mechanic Razzalicious? Uh, I mean, like I said, it depends. I've never talked about publicly how I would actually uh, uh, do rival schools defensive mechanic. But my answer to the rival schools defensive mechanic is I don't know what I would use as a defensive mechanic. I just know that I want to put in a lot of them for very different meter costs. Because of the way that I want to build my rival schools game, this is very important. So I would have a bunch of different uh, defensive mechanics, whether that be a push block or uh, a tag alpha counter or something like that. Uh, it depends. This would depend on as I test the game out to find what's practical, what's good, what's useful, etc., etc. The important part for me is that I want multiple defensive options at different costs of meter. So again... It's not exactly about what the mechanics are, but how I want the game to play. This is where Street Fighter V failed at the beginning, is that they did not know how they wanted Street Fighter V to play. All they knew when the game was launched was that they didn't want it to be Street Fighter IV. That they wanted to get rid of everything that people complained about Street Fighter IV. That was entirely Street Fighter V's existence. Don't let crouch tech work. Make it so that there's no safe DP, FADC kind of stuff. We hated invincible backdashes, etc., etc. They added everything they could to make it not Street Fighter V. And what Street Fighter VI is important is it looks like they don't care what the previous games were. They had an idea of what to do what they wanted out of the game, and they built it that way. So again, what I want out of my Rival Schools game is less important about the actual systems, but more of what I want to create out of the game, how I want the game to play. I Every fighting game has to have a core system. So Street Fighter VI is the drive system. Street Fighter Three is the parry system, etc. Alpha Three is the isms, for example, right? You have to have that core mechanic. I know what my core mechanic for the Rival Schools game I want to make is. I don't know how all the extra mechanics are going to necessarily fit into that, but I know what I want to do to create the game to play a specific way. And, you know, honestly, one of these days, I should just publicly talk about my Rival Schools game because, let's face it, it's never going to happen. Capcom is never going to hit me up and be like, James, we've heard it. Tell us what your Rival Schools idea is. We're making it. Like, that's never going to happen as much as I would love to dream that that would happen. I don't think it ever would happen, but 
Maybe I'll just talk about it one of these days to really give you the idea of what I'm trying to build out of it to create a very unique fighting game experience. I was not the Evo Mario Kart champ. I was a top eight finisher. <laughs> top eight finisher. It's not the strike throw era Shogundo. It's the turns era. It's the turns era. Everybody went Tekken. That's really what it kind of went into. Everybody went into the turns uh, era. So F Street Fighter 4 and previous, there were no turns in Street Fighter. There were no turns. Nobody cared. <laughs> Nobody cared because I could throw you with a one-frame throw. I had an invincible DP. I had an invincible backdash. I had a parry. I had a roll. <laughs> I had just defense. I had, a, you know, you had everything. You had ev focus attacks, whatever. Who cared about turns? Uh, this era, even Mortal Kombat 11, even especially Street Fighter 5. In fact, Street Fighter 5 is more turns than Tekken 7 is. Uh, this is the era of turns in fighting games. And so, yeah, so Strive doesn't really have turns. It does have turns, but again, there's a lot of ways to try to kind of mess those up. Right. There's a lot. I mean, you got the you got the perfect guard. You've got the just, you know, the instant block. You've got the instant block block you know guard you've got the yrc's you've got a burst you can do backdash has some invulnerability you can try to backdash wake up brc backwards etc etc so it's it's really really uh it's it's it, 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 it's less turn-based uh than the three games that i mentioned uh honestly uh let's see here uh how do you avoid discouragement when it feels like the entire community disrespects your primary game? Play it and just love it, honestly. I mean, if you're a DNF dual player, I mean, that's the first one that I feel like would go to, uh, Subatar. Or, oh, no, wait, no, no, you're a Mortal Kombat player. You're a Mortal Kombat player. Uh, I don't think the entire FGC, I mean, I feel like NRS fans disrespect NRS games just as much. <laughs> <laughs> as everybody else but yeah i mean a lot of it does come down to a lot of the stigma that the nrs games have and i think it's stupid i think it's ridiculous and uh i mean you know what let them keep disrespecting it right they disrespected it like these games are good sonic fox wouldn't win a game that had real competition and then sonic fox killed everybody so <laughs> whatever <laughs> Whatever. Like I said on Twitter, FGC Twitter is like one of the worst things. And so is FGC chat in Twitch, by the way, because they're part and parcel of the same thing, honestly. But both. What is the cat doing? Uh, but both of those things are really, really uh, annoying. And, and like I said to somebody on Twitter, too. Like, people just want attention, right? So they're not going to type in the chat like, wow, MK11 looks really fun, right? Like, because then nobody's going to respond. But if they're like, MK11 is shit. I don't even know why you guys are playing. When is Street Fighter starting? And then they just rile up a bunch of people. You know, it's it's just attention. It's just people like attention. So my solution is get cats or dogs, get a pet, so you can get that attention, and now you don't have to let it all out on... Uh, look, everybody wants human attention. They crave human attention, or just another creature's attention. And when you don't get any, you'll get it even if it's bad attention. It's, it's the truth. It's just the absolute truth. So the people who are being trolls in the chat, 
Like, there's a lot of sadness behind the tales. Now, some people are just griefers because they think it's fun making everybody mad. But a lot of them have these kind of background stories. It's an unfortunate kind of situation. It's just the way it is. People crave attention. It's just what they want. And it's, it's really kind of annoying. It's kind of frustrating and unfortunate. It's unfortunate that it, it's there. I fall into it too. Why I don't need to type out that I think Lucia sucks on Twitter and that I think she's fucking garbage and she's like the bottom two character in Street Fighter V. I don't need to do that, but I can't help it. Like, as soon as I'm done playing, I just need to yell at yell somewhere. And so, like, I contribute it too. <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it happens, dude. <laughs> Uh, Mark Mann said when stream monsters are not part of the FGC. I don't even remember that. Uh, but I think Mark Mann was referring not to the entire stream uh, chat. I think he was meaning the specific people who are there just trying to be haters and trolls. Because uh, the people who are watching are so much part of the FGC. In fact, people watching the streams, I think, are the most important part of the FGC. Um, Twitch viewers and stream watchers, I think, are the most important people in the FGC because they're going to determine whether the FGC succeeds or not. Whether FGC succeeds or not comes completely solely based off of viewership because you can't get sponsorship. You can't do. You can't create an actual industry where people are going to be able to play video games as their job. Without viewers. Viewers are everything. Everything. For the success of any sort of competitive scene. Or any ent- form of entertainment. It's always going to be the viewership. And so I think it's more. I think the viewers are more important than anybody else in the FGC. Players will come and go. Commentators will come and go. TOs will come and go. But the audience needs to be forever. Honestly. Uh, it is scary to have your biggest stakeholders be a group of people with no skin in the game. That's just how it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how it works. Um, let's see. Anything over? I remember watching the show on Capcom Fighter Channel with Vicious. We're playing the CPU. It looks like the CPU at hard levels is hella good. That's good. That's good. Any other questions over here? Uh, let's see. Do I think making rank hidden from the players and just using it for matchmaking would make the online experience more comfortable and less stressful for players? Yes, but then at the same time, they they wouldn't know what they're doing goals wise. That's what uh, Strive tried to do with the floors, but they failed because they did a very bad job with the floors because uh, floors one through eight should have been floors one through two. <laughs> They overestimated how their 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 floor system, and it was too easy to get up to the top floor. Unfortunately, uh, but that's what they were trying to do. But people need to have those kind of goals uh, to really understand. Uh, so that's really really important. Um, trying to hide the actual rank score might be good because 
numbers are just bad. I've always said that. So why I've always said that I, I don't like frame data heavy games because numbers are scary. People laughed at me about that, but it's absolutely true. Numbers are scary and they're annoying and they're intimidating. And seeing this value go up and down all day, I, it, it's, 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 it's a problem, right? That's how most gotcha games get you are putting numbers on the screen. You're at level this, you're at power level this, this weapon is this level. And you just, you, you get addicted into this kind of really self-destructive cycle uh, of trying to power level things, increase numbers. And that really kind of sucks the enjoyment out of a lot of things. <laughs> it really does. Um, uh, did I ever fix my apartment? Uh, so yes, the, the home is fixed right now. Uh, Olaf has moved back into the room, slowly getting it back to the point where it's like a home for him again. Uh, I have worked with a lawyer. The city has said that they will be responsible for the damages. So, oh, thank God that's a big weight off of my shoulders, uh, honestly. Uh, but honestly, I still am hoping to get a little bit more because... Like I said, I, I missed rent for six months. I had to pay all this money to do all this other stuff. I had emotional stress and stuff. So hopefully I can get a little bit more right. Back pay and interest. Like literally I have never had this little in my bank accounts in my entire life. Uh, because I've had to spend over like $20,000. I've lost basically $20,000 like in the last six months just because of this thing that happened. And so like, I am just basically financially fucked right now. <laughs> In six months, I basically was, I essentially lost over 20K. So uh, trying to take care of this problem. Uh, I know it could have easily been a lot worse than that, but it still sucks when you're a starving artist content creator. Wee! So, yeah, uh, I mean, dude, this one uh, person that I went to the bank because I started getting fines in one of my bank accounts because you needed a minimum in there, which I never knew you needed <laughs> because I never went below the minimum. <laughs> but I started getting fines in there and I talked to the person at the bank and she was just like, God, I'm so sorry. Like. I can try, but they limit how many fines we can overturn because the banks feel like we're giving, we're, we're doing this too often. She's like, I don't know if I can help you. And then she called and then they took away all of my fines. And uh, I literally cried at the bank. Like I literally just told the lady, like, you are my hero. And I was like crying at the bank over like $20 fines uh, in my bank account. Like I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy to have saved like $60 in fines. <laughs> like I was like, I told the lady, I was like, I'm crying right now. She was like, no, don't do that. You're going to make me cry. So again, Brandy at Chase Bank in Santa Monica, you, I told you in person, you are my hero. Thank you. I love you to death, dude. She was definitely my hero. Oh man. So yeah. But uh, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, oh my god. But yeah, like it's 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 been a rough 
six months. It's been very stressful watching the bank account just disappear for like the last six months. You can't even imagine. I mean, you've probably seen my tweets where I'm just like, I don't feel like doing anything. I haven't been streaming. I'm doing nothing <laughs> because that, I mean, my mood was obviously affected by that a lot. So it's been absolutely miserable. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, I can get something more from from the city. But if they cover all the charges, at least, then I'll, I'll be happy and I could even pay back my friend that I that had to help me at this point in time. So, you know, you know, financially, like I literally had to rely on a friend to help me survive to keep afloat at this point oh great now see look i'm not saying this just so you got just so you would uh gift sub <laughs> elon but i appreciate it very much <laughs> very very much so <laughs> appreciate it appreciate it and you know these guys helped a lot too uh, these boy the boy and the girl helped a lot uh. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Mm. Mm. And you are not now. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that, Elon. But yeah, so yeah, to answer your question, uh, things are looking better right now. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'll be back on my feet and in a normal situation again very soon. Very, very, very soon. So... Someone did in the chat ask, I forgot to answer that, but I didn't see it when I was scrolling through, how much I feed my cats. Uh, not a lot, to be honest with you, because my cats are fat and they don't get a lot of exercise, and this guy had to lose weight, so I had to make sure I did not feed this guy too much. <laughs> uh, some current FG news tossed around is making fighting games easier to play to bring in new players from different games and genres, and they can just pick up a controller and play. I'm curious how you feel of what is the right balance of easy to pick up and challenging to master. What do you think about the design challenges these games devs are going to face? I, I still like Grand Blue's method a lot, which was, you know, having the motion version of the move be better with quicker cooldown. Now, you don't have to use the cooldown system, but, you know, you can find other ways to improve it. Even modern controls in Street Fighter VI, in the beta uh, are scaled. Um, all special moves do 80% of the damage that uh, traditional controls had. At least it was in the beta. Who knows how it's going to change. Uh, but um, I really do think motions have a lot of effect that a lot of people don't understand. You know, there have been people out there, uh, for example, again, not trying to talk smack about anyone, just presenting different points of views. Dave Serlin was very famous for saying that at, in the end, motions don't matter because the best players never miss them anyway. Uh, I disagree with that heavily because, like I said, whether you make an SPD motion, an SPD, or a, uh, or a fireball is really going to affect how an SPD works, right? Uh, you notice they don't give anybody a reverse DP anymore these days, like Fei Long had, because there's just a lot of inherent advantages to having a reverse DP, especially with DP shortcuts. If I had Fei Long with DP shortcuts in Street Fighter V, I could hold down back, and anytime I want a DP, down forward, down back, kick, and I would get a DP. That's really powerful to have, to be able to try to DP in the middle of things while never standing up and basically blocking for 90% of the time. It's really, really powerful. 
And so motions absolutely make a difference, right? If you're fighting against Zangief, you'll focus more on the Zangief trying to trying to jump at you than walk up an SPD because you can react you you have to react faster to the jump than you do to the walk up SPD because the SPD isn't a button. But I mentioned the Hajiki screw and how the Hajiki screw actually made Zangief stronger in Super Turbo because you could walk up an SPD faster. And that actually, that learning that technique was enough to give improvements to Zangief. You know what I mean? Like, obviously these things matter. And, and I mean, freaking look at KOF 11. You give me back quarter circle back as a freaking red kick and like, I hate everything. Like, life literally sucks. Like, motions absolutely matter. <laughs> so uh, I prefer fighting games with motions, but... Again, if you intelligently design moves so that, uh, you know, you do have one button special moves, you, there's plenty of ways to make it work. I know, for, exact, for example, Pocket Rumble added startup to basically most special moves uh, to make up for the fact that everything was a one button special moves. And so you basically had to, like, and you couldn't just DP and be invincible on the frame that you press the button. You still needed that anticipation to be able to DP somebody out of the air because the startup, you could get hit out of, you know, you can design it intelligently. There's no right answer. So uh, I, I can't, I, I, I would be wrong to say that, oh, motions are important, like screw League of Legends, Project L for not having, you know, motion, like what, you can design the game so that it works, right? You, you literally can't. And whatever at this point, like as long as you know what you're doing and you know how to balance your game around the decisions that you make, your game will turn out perfectly fine. Right? There's a lot of people out there who love Fantasy Strike made by Dave Serlin, who's, you know, same thing. One button special moves. And, you know, a lot of people out there really appreciate that game for helping them learn fighting games and breaking the core fundamentals of fighting games down to, you know, certain areas that really help them learn the game. So he made a game without uh, motions and it works for a lot of people. So there you go. I've heard Yomi Hustle is really, really cool and helped them learn the mindset of fighting games as a turn-based game. <laughs> Um, and then for those people like me, when you just enjoy doing the motions, it's just fun to do. So, um, I am yet to, so flipped pie says I am yet to be convinced that easy entry options for players have had any substantial improvement to the FGC and to visibility of fighting games to a more casual player base. I agree with that. Uh, snake eyes was talking about that, uh, a lot. He was definitely talking about, it. he's like, is there any proof that this, that easy controls actually gets people to play more fighting games? Uh, no, there's just not, right? We don't know that. And, you know, games like CSGO and stuff like that, like, yeah, there's some auto-aim. There's always an element of that kind of thing in a lot of video games out there. But, you know, people get good at all these video games out there, man. Like, people get good at everything. And so, like, it's just whether or not it's worth your time or not or you know, uh, how much you can dedicate to it. Everything is going to be a little bit hard to get into. And, uh, uh, you know, even if you make things... So the problem with it is, is if you make things easier to do, it's actually stronger for the better players anyway. 
So the person playing the game with the easier controls is going to have a similarly miserable experience dying online. <laughs> Which now comes back to the fact that, yes, ranked match is miserable. Like, we need to do better than ranked match. So, you know, we've got a lot of ways to work on this. But it's good if we have a game like League of Legends you know, Project L come out to try it and see if it can prove it one way or the other. Just like I said, if Street Fighter VI comes out and sells like hotcakes and everybody praises the one-player content, that sets a precedent to everybody else. If uh, it comes out and all the new players are playing modern controls in Street Fighter VI and we get a whole new birth of players playing modern control, that is a huge thing to understand. Same thing with Project L. If that comes out and has one-button special moves, if that has increased the player base, that is something very important to, to note, right? Uh, so far, what we have right now is DNF. Duel and Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Now, obviously, there are other reasons why they aren't as popular, but they have one button special moves and it hasn't necessarily increased their player base all that much. But again, like I said, there's so many other reasons, so we can't tie it directly to the input just yet. We don't know just yet. So there's a lot of things that we need to find out. So uh, Bonded for Life asks, would you have liked Arxis to make another shonen fighting game like DBFZ, like Naruto or Bleach? I don't watch anime. <laughs> like, none of it really matters to me, unfortunately. So, uh, I am not the audience to ask there. So, uh... I don't know. Rama one half. We don't need Rama one half. We have street combat, baby. We have street combat. <laughs> Rama one half is irrelevant. Street combat is the way to go. Um, I kind of have an unanswerable question. Uh, well, Pony, first time chat, says motion control is a big part of why I play fighting games. It's very satisfying to have spent time in training mode and reward with executing fluid combos. Exactly. Some people really enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, Valkyrion7 asks, uh, I ran, uh, let's see, uh, how can I develop a killer edge in fighting games? If I play ranked against lower players, I can't bring myself to destroy them, even if I know I can. But I feel like it holds me back because the same nice guy attitude gets me blown up at the same level or high level matches when I notice they are not stopping certain things like anti-air or not teching throws. That is a great question because I have that problem too, Val Valkyrian7. Like a lot of times I just don't like blowing people up really badly, but you know, I've had to get used to it a little bit more. I don't know. I, like you said, it's kind of unanswerable question. I don't know. I can't answer it because I have the exact same problem. <laughs> I have the exact same problem. And also, Super Cocojin 916, if you don't know what my street combat joke is all about, please look up Super Street Combat and uh, Rama One Half. Please look up Street Combat and Rama. Oh, you do? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I've brought it up a lot on the stream too, so. Um, I would rather have directional inputs a la Power Rangers Battle for the Grig than one special moves like Rising Thunder. Rising Thunder was that way, wasn't it? Rising Thunder was up, down, left, I mean, left, right, and down, right? There's no other way to do uh, one button specials. I'm pretty sure Rising Thunder was like that. Or did Rising Thunder have two special move? Oh, was, there was three special move buttons? Was it like that? 
Jesus Christ, I barely remember at this point. Oof. That's 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 a tough one. Uh, <laughs> Valkyrian says he can't do it. Every time I rock someone's face off, I think of a sad person on the other side and drop the next match. Dude, you, you have empathy problems like I do. But again, that's what makes me a good commentator because I have so much empathy. And so when I talk about the players and stuff, I can feel their pain so well. And I, I'm really good at just like connecting the audience with the players and stuff, you know. Uh, it's tough, Valkyrian. I totally get it. I totally get it. It is not an easy thing to do, but I, I'm also competitive. So that part actually does sometimes override it where I'm just like, I'm going to kick your ass because I'm just in that mode right now. So it, it's really tough. It's, it's really tough. Uh, if you have that empathy factor, it is hard just to be in a competitive environment in any capacity. Uh, whatsoever, um, but it's just, that's just the way, oh, you're an elementary school teacher? You can't deal with sad people? Look, look, man, I don't know what to tell you at that point, man. I don't know, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to be like Michael Jordan, right? Fuck them kids. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyways, uh, Oh, man. Oh, yo, Perfect Legend. Carl's in the chat. Nice. What's going on? Don't you sit here trying to advertise in my chat. Don't you try to advertise on my stream, Perfect Legend. <laughs> Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Oh, man. Uh, any other questions at the point, at this point? At this, at this point. <laughs> any other questions? See, see, I love what Perfect Legend did. He's like, advertise what? It's that little girl going, you know. <laughs> that's the that's the fighting game player in him, dude. I know, I know what you're doing there, Carl. I know what you're doing there. <laughs> I, I won't duck you in Street Fighter 6. I'll duck you in Street Fighter 5 because I'm garbage in Street Fighter 5. Says the super diamond player, I'm garbage in Street Fighter 5. But we'll see what, what happens with 6. My question is about content creators. How come more fighting game content creators don't collaborate more? Like in Magic the Gathering content community, it's collab after collab. Why not the FGC? Because everyone's trying to make money. <laughs> Everyone's trying to make money. Only one of the YouTube channels is going to make that money when you put that video up. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think people are going to try to collab more, but I just think it, we, they, we just have, we haven't figured out the proper way for it to benefit everybody. Honestly, uh, I, I think that's a psycho Damo. How come street fighter four is my least favorite SF game? I, I, uh, I like, I don't want to call it my least favorite. Like, but it's kind of, you know, again, I think it's the weakest out of all of them. But I don't like the connotations that I don't like the game. Uh, the reason why Street Fighter 4 doesn't resonate with me as much as a lot of other ones is just because I hate the Vortex. I hated Vortex. I really, really, really hated Vortex. Because Vortex was not about playing a fighting game anymore, it felt like to me. Uh, however, Street Fighter 4 is still one of the most important fighting games and one of the best fighting games because it really made sure that it taught you 
to find the character that you like to play and its characters were significantly stronger than the system. Street Fighter 6 and Street Fighter 5 uh, are more are very much more system strength than character strength. Street Fighter 4 was one of the most main games that was so character individual and very very little system overarching system uh, factor in the game. And so it really made it so that it catered to everybody. Everybody had... Well, yeah, you're an Akuma player, Perfect Legend. Of course you like Vortex. Uh, well, hitting people with Vortex. Um, but, you know, yeah, character expression. Character expression I thought was really, really uh, good in Street Fighter Four. If you were an execution guy, there was the execution characters. If you were a zoning guy, you had the zoning characters. If you liked rushdown, you had the rushdown characters. If you wanted simple execution, some characters were very simple execution, etc., etc. You could find the character that fit your playstyle. It might not be the character that you wanted, so if you suck like me and just have to play a character based on the character not the way they play, then you get stuck with shitty characters like Lucia. But uh, if you are a person who can find the character that suits you best, Street Fighter 4 was a wonderful, wonderful game for that because it had a character for just about everybody to play, uh, honestly. Um, uh, <laughs> I like it less than Street Fighter 1. Okay, look, Street Fighter 1... The only way to challenge someone is if you both put a quarter in at the start screen, challenged each other, and whoever won had to go and fight the computer. You couldn't even re-challenge in Street Fighter 1. <laughs> like, literally, you could not re-challenge. The only way to play a challenge again was to let yourself die, go back to the title screen, and both insert a quarter again. That game doesn't count. <laughs> That doesn't count. Uh, what's the reference to Matt McMuscle, Super Coco Jean? Um, not to say this were not impactful. The backdashes and focus attack had a huge impact on the game. True necromancy black, but again, so what you saw from Street Fighter V was the era of homogenization, right? Every character's sweep sucks on block. Every character has the, every character, every character, every character. Whereas like in Street Fighter 4, some characters clearly had better focus attacks than some other characters. Like Viper was famous for having a shitty focus attack. While Kami was famous for having an amazing focus attack. So uh, honestly, it's, uh, it's very, even though those system mechanics were there, it was... Like, Cammy had the best backdash in the game, right? Like, she had one of the best backdashes. Least in frames, but it was fast, and it moved back very far. So, again, even though this, the, the system mechanics were there, there was variety amongst the system mechanics. Like, for me, I would have loved it if Lucia threw forward through you and had actual throw loops, right? Like, just she forward through you, and then she was just right next to you. Or, since Cammy's sweep, in, even in Street Fighter V, had no range, make her safer on block but again it's like every character is homogenized so that forward throws do not give you pressure uh back throws give you some pressure uh 
everybody's sweep is very punishable on block, etc., etc. Uh, we entered an age of homogenization with a lot of characters. So even though Street Fighter Four, those systems were strong, even within the system itself, it was hugely varied. Some characters couldn't even really use FADC cancels very well at all. Like, they just didn't have anything good out of it. Um... <laughs> Look, they already took away Potemkin's backdash in Strive, all right? And they didn't need to do that. Potemkin did not need to have his backdash nerfed like that, okay? Uh, so there's no way Zappa's making it in there with that same backdash. Uh... <laughs> with self-motivation. <laughs> Sorry, Perfect Legend. I've been that way for basically half of my life, okay? Half of my life, I was the cockiest, most arrogant motherfucker. And then something happened. And then I basically changed to the most, like, humble. And, like, now I just think I'm shit at everything. So, so imposter syndrome human possible. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So let's see, dude, hashtag buff Potemkin, dude. Potemkin makes me so sad. Ugh. Um, yeah, if they kept it, people would be getting scooped at an alarming rate. Is that a problem prospect? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> you don't think this character needs it right now? You don't think <laughs> Potemkin isn't just complete, utter ass in Strive right now? Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> that people would get scooped all day. <laughs> that is the core concept of why <laughs> he should have that invul again. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Potemkin. Poor, poor, poor. One of these days, they'll add a system mechanic that benefits only Potemkin and nobody else instead of adding system mechanic after system mechanic that hurts Potemkin and buffs everybody else. One of these days. One of these days. <sighs> All right. I think that's going to be it for me today because I don't see a lot of other questions rolling in here. And so uh, I'll definitely, I'll probably just call it for a night. But thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this Q&A session over here. Hope you guys had a good time as usual on the stream. If you guys enjoyed this kind of Q&A session content too, where I just answer random questions, let me know. And I'll do these more often as well. Uh, hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, again, like and subscribe. Do all that stuff. And uh, follow me on Twitch as well at... Uh, Twitter, twitter.com slash jchenzer, twitch.tv slash ultrachentv, as well as twitch.tv slash jchenzor. I stream on both. I know it's confusing. It's just an unfortunate product of how everything went down with ultrachentv. It's just how it works. So I have two Twitch channels, but only one YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ultrachentv. There is a Twitter for ultrachentv, but trust me, I haven't looked at that thing in like months. So I apologize if you have tried contacting me there. Uh, but outside of that, thank you guys for watching as usual. And uh, keep playing those fighting games out there. Enjoy all the fighting games.
times that you can. And uh, thank you for tuning in and hanging out. And uh, again, this day that this podcast, that this show graced your presence was clearly the most important day of your life. But for me... It was Tuesday. innovation in fighting games as a package now that rollback and crossplay seem to be more common now what do you think is the next breakthrough for the genre um personally uh better in-game teaching is one and better community is two now the battle hub for um the battle hub for street fighter 6 is trying to create a better community and uh, we'll see what happens with the uh, with the um, educational stuff. That's what World Tour seems to be. So if they can do that, that's great. But honestly, fighting games are a social genre. I'll tell you this right now. The hardest thing about playing fighting games these days, especially ranked, as those of you who watched my stream last night can tell, it's so hard to play ranked because it's easy to just destroy yourself with a bad losing streak and the reason why in the arcades this wasn't necessarily as bad as usually there was at least three to four people lined up and so when you lost you had a chance to step off and cool down people in my chat were like hey james take a break but you just don't you just don't because you just want to get back in there because you're so angry but in the arcades you didn't have any choice one of the things that we need to proliferate more in the fighting game community, in the fighting games themselves, is the encouragement of watching other people. I've often wanted to have it so that, you know, you can view basically any match that's live at any point in time. When you lose to a player, they should give you the option to go that says, watch their next match. And if you say yes, you just basically sit there in training mode while they wait for their match, and as soon as they get matched up with something, your screen goes da 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 And now you get to watch them play against their next opponent and see how they do over there. So that if they get beat up, you're like, wait, huh? And then if they beat up the other guy, you're like, okay, so they're pretty good. <laughs> That's kind of actually cool. But the problem is, yes, like Croton says, people are going to follow up, follow to be toxic, right? There's going to be a lot of issues with that. I've often talked about having the idea that to create online groups, this is another innovation that I want to see, where you and two other people will go online, but you have to go online at the same time. All three of you are actually playing ranked at the same time, but you're not actually playing at the same time. What happens is that two of them have, or two or three of them, whatever, how many people there are, and limit it to like four or five people, like four people at max, maybe. But whoever's not playing, the other three have to watch. 
The other three have to watch the uh, the person currently playing ranked. And when that guy's done, it swaps to the next person. They play ranked. The other people watch. And whoever wins, if the guy wins, you actually gain a very small amount of points just for watching your friends play. Because that will make you want to encourage them, help them, give them advice. Dude, you're, you're jumping too much. Stop, stop, stop. You know, kind of like that. That's one of the innovations that I want to see in a fighting game. Create this kind of system that has the ability. And yeah, you, then you can take advantage of the game's invoice chat, like the console's invoice chat, to automatically cook up the people so they can talk to each other and stuff like that. And that way, you guys are encouraging each other. Now, if the guy loses and you're watching, you don't actually lose any points. Does this allow people to just sit there and piggyback off of someone good? Maybe, but the problem is, you can't. You, your turn's coming up, and you gotta play, right? So you have to play at some point in time. And you know, obviously, there's the reasons to skip turns or whatever like that because maybe you have to go to the bathroom or it's time for you to eat or something like that. But like come up with some fair balance system. But then in the end, if someone wants to piggyback off of somebody else and gain like the minuscule points that I've been talking about, like if the winner gets 125 points, the viewer gets like 12 points, right? Like a, 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 like literally one one hundredth of the points, you know? Like then it just really doesn't matter. It's not going to add up that much. But still, if you guys are watching and helping each other, it will all add up eventually in something like that. So... Or maybe getting fight money. Yeah, something. Basically to encourage group play and more watching. Fighting games were all, like, weirdly enough, even with all the training mode that we have and all the YouTube content we have and all the stuff that we have, I feel like it's kind of harder to learn fighting games because we don't watch enough. We do not watch enough matches. And it's not the same as watching you know, Tokido versus Angry Bird because they're already doing stuff way beyond what you're doing. But if you're watching friends play and, you know, watching people closer to your level, you'll be learning a lot faster. It, even though I had that video talk about how difficult it was to lab in those old days and sure, we didn't find a lot of the tech, but I got to tell you, man, the, 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 the rise of how good a player got in the arcade is actually really, really surprising given the extreme limited access that they had to the game. Like, if we're playing at home right now, I just bust out the PC. I streamed Street Fighter V for like five hours yesterday, right? But somehow when I played in the arcade, I feel like I got better faster, because you were talking to people. You were always interacting. You are watching the people that you fought fight each other. You learn specifically things that are applicable to the matches that you played. Which we are not doing right now. We are not doing that right now. And that is one of the frustrating parts about playing fighting games. We are not learning things that are actual specific to your matches. It doesn't, you don't learn watching random people play. You learn watching the guy who beat you fight other people because you're fresh off of losing to them and being like, God, and then you see that they're doing the same thing to the other guy and you're like, 
God, this guy is just getting hit by this all day. Everybody's a better backseat driver than they are when they play. That's why I can commentate high-level Street Fighter V, but I can't play it for goddamn shit, right? Like, I clearly know what I'm talking about. I just can't emulate it because emotions, because mood, because sleep, whatever, all gets in the way. But when you're watching it, you're a fucking genius. <laughs> and so watching is so important. So yeah, like Best of V show says in the chat, go to your locals if you can, if you have. But see, that's the thing. Not everybody has access to locals. So by forcing a group play ranked mode, I think that's something that's very, very important and will actually help people grow. Grow, 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 grow. And I think that that's really, really very, very, very important. Uh, right, exactly. See, Big Four Lil says, I could get hit by some grimy stuff in a rank set and get tilted, but the same thing in person, you just might look at your opponent like, damn, that was nice, let me try that. You know? <laughs> like, like that happens. Like you, Or somebody hits you with that shit and you're just like, that was real? What the fuck do I do about that? And the guy will be like, just block the other direction, it's a cross-up. And you'll be like, God, what the hell, you know? Now, you did run into assholes in the arcade, and they'd be like, you lose, sucker! But, you know, like, obviously, that... It, as much as people like to talk about, you know, how terrible arcades was, was actually kind of the exception a lot of the times. Most of the times, you would get someone that they wouldn't respond to you. They would just look at you and whatever, and just ignore you or whatever like that. Sure, that happened, for sure. But if you found the right arcade, that's how people got stronger, was that they would ask each other that all the time. So like I said, I tell the story all the time of Vi versus El Terminado at Southern Hills Golfland. It's this player that came in and wore shades all the time. And he played CVS too, and all he ever do was roll flash kick with uh, Kim and Terry and Yori roll DP because they had three of the shortest rolls in the game, the fastest rolls in the game. So he did that and he would absolutely kill everybody. <laughs> and then, except Vi, he would roll and Vi would kill him. And the guy would just be like, Ugh. and like nobody ever talked to him. He was just some dude who would just show up all the time. And eventually Vi was just finally like, look, dude, there's delay at the end of the roll. You cannot flash kick. I will hit you every time. And the guy was like, no, no, like, that's not true. And Vi is like, do it, roll at me. And so like they played a game and he rolled and he hit him out of the roll every time. And Vi just like taught him right there on the spot. He didn't need to, but Vi himself was getting kind of annoyed by the fact that this guy was like, why can't I get the flash kick? And eventually Vi is like, because you can't. Because I'm punishing you. <laughs> you know, and that's the kind of shit that happens in the arcade that we don't get online these days and so group group thought is such a powerful thing and then like literally literally after southern hills golf then closed we all went to norms and we just all sit there and talk about it. like god that matchup how do i fight this matchup oh well you do this oh you do this i would complain about my characters the same way back then now i'm doing it on twitter so it seems worse but I used to do it back then just to like three other guys and they'd be like, James, you just need to do this. James, you just need to do that. Now that I'm yelling on Twitter, it just makes it seem like I'm just whining all the time. Dude. <laughs> uh, but see, that's the thing is Twitch chat is not group thought, though. That's the problem. It's not. That's why I said limit the thing to like three or four people. I'm just talking small little cohesive groups. 
You know, even getting to 12 or 13 people at once is really good. The younger generation right now has an advantage is that they are very good at Discord fighting. And so a lot of them are replicating this by all jumping into a Discord chat all the time. They're always in a Discord chat and they're always talking about it. When we did a, a Macharino stream for Guilty Gear Strive, we all jumped into Razo's chat one time. Uh, Razo's stream and he's just in there with like Adventure and like uh, like Jonathan Tene and all these guys were just sitting in a Discord call and they're like yeah I don't know why he used the, the, the Roman cancel there I think it would have been better if he had saved it there oh yeah that burst you know what the weird thing was he was in a situation where he had this match lead he should have burst a little bit earlier because then he had a better timing to get it back and like it was crazy like I was sitting there watching this I was like oh my god this is so cool no wonder these guys are getting so good because they're replicating that they are doing that and there's not a coincidence why these players end up so strong but that's why we need to promote that in the game itself for those people who don't have that ability you know just like hey you someone beat you on streaming and be like hey do you want to do a little group play so that i can watch you and you know we can talk and learn i mean yeah obviously a lot of people are going to be like go fuck yourself you know but like if you do have friends on other parts of the country or whatever like that you guys can do this right you can guys and go play with each other and stuff like that and you know, it's it's a good thing to encourage. It's it's whether it's successful or not, I don't know. But those that do make it work will succeed, right? Because like I, another story I always tell, eight hundred one Strider and I Peru, like those two guys literally got good because they were the group. They kept elevating each other. They kept telling each other what they were what they could take advantage of of the other player. And they elevated each other to the point where Gustavo was a three-time Capcom Cup qualifier, right? The group, that ability right there is so powerful. And I think that is one of the things we need to look at. And so Street Fighter VI is creating the battle hub. It's a nice little start to create this more everyone's running around and watching cabinets and things like that. It's what the Guilty Gear Strive lobby should have been trying to go for a little bit more. The mistake... For Guilty Gear Strive was that they attached ranked to it. I think that's the biggest problem. Uh, it should have been two separate things. And judging from Street Fighter 6, I feel like Fighting Ground is the ranked and Battle Hub is the community thing. So it seems like Street Fighter 6 is trying to keep them separate, which would be nice. Which would be nice. So, uh, isn't that what happened with the West Coast Ken mains? Uh, oh, the Ken trio. Yeah, they talked a lot with each other. They they did. They did. They had a lot of um, practice for the game early on. So, <laughs> uh, let's see here. First time chat. I want to register for Evo just to do it. 
I'm not good at fighting games, but I like playing for fun and watching competitive play. Is registration worth it if I'm just going to get washed? Absolutely. Because I'll tell you this right now, the joy of EVO has nothing to do necessarily with the competition. The joy of EVO is going to come from the fact that you're going into a room with a few thousand people who actually love the same thing that you do. When you go meet up with some random people and you're like, hey, man, did you did you see that what Tokido did last weekend? And the guy just looks at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I, I didn't eat a taquito last week, you know, like when you're in Evo and like everyone you run into and you'd be like, who's your favorite player? Sonic Fox. You know, it's just like like. It's such a joy. You absorb the environment. You see the artist alleys where everyone's drawing all these cool pictures. You go to the joystick museum and you're like, this is so sick. And you sit down and watch a top eight. And you, like, I've said this to many people. And there are a lot of people who have confirmed this with me. The first time you're in the room for a top eight and some crazy shit happens on on the stage and you scream and a few thousand people jump up and scream with you is going to be one of the most euphoric feelings you will ever feel in your life because you are in a room with a bunch of people that appreciated the same shit that you did and it's just like I am home like these are my people right like it's just it's so great to feel that It's so great to feel that. And it is, yeah, absolutely. Pa- Pasadena, Pasadena, it's, it's euphoric. It honestly is. The, when I experienced the Daigo Perry was when I was like, shit, this can become something. Because that feeling that I got from the Daigo Perry is still just like something that I will never be able to shake from my core. Because it was such a crazy feeling to have, uh, honestly. And once you experience that the first time, or even if it's just doing the cell yell on the on the stage with everyone, or the geese reveal trailer for Tekken 7, and the audience went... Like, people still say that the geese reveal for Tekken 7 at EVO was one of their most memorable moments. Because the entire audience lost their shit. <laughs> When Geese got revealed for Tekken 7, the entire arena collectively lost their shit together, and it was such a wonderful moment. In the King of Fighters 13 Top 8, when people were chanting and singing for the Mexico flag, when Bala was playing, like, these things, they just, they, it just sticks with you. And so, even if you go 0-2 in every game, it's not necessarily about that, especially with the way Rick has added. Rick and Markman have done such a good job adding a lot more to Evo, you know, with the arcade museums, with the arcade where you can play stuff, with a lot of extra things that you can do at Evo now. And it's probably only going to get better. And again, you'll meet new people, try to get casuals in there with some other people. And it's just, it's a wonderful environment to be around. And it's, it's so good. It's so, so, it's so good. Like, so many people who have gone to EVO have been just like, my God, like, how has it taken me this long to go here? Like, this is, this is where I belong. And it's wonderful. It's, it's really great. Uh, Ironically, EVO is actually, I think, kind of worse for the players. (laughs) 
that are good because a lot of times they have to wait or their sisters are or like they're like oh i'm complaining about you know this bracket runner or whatever or god it's like impossible to practice the hotel rooms are so far away like how do i practice da 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 it's like really crazy <laughs> i think it's almost more it's actually more fun for the spectators at EVO than it is for some of the top players, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, again, you know, Best of E-Show, I was talking about this on Twitter, going in person eliminates the negativity we experience online. You know, true, obviously, there are a lot of exceptions. People have definitely run into really, really terrible experiences in person, uh, All and it happens, it happens, and unfortunately, it's a thing, but, you know, again... I don't see it as an FGC thing. I see it as a geek culture thing. Um, the gatekeeping, the the sexism, homophobia, the the you know that kind of stuff. A lot of that is is very tied to geek culture, right? And and so I, I feel like that's a problem. Uh, it's not unique to us. That doesn't mean we're not going to try to be better than everyone else and make it better in the FGC. But it's it's a problem. It's it's not something that you change in our. It's like a it's a society problem. Really, is what it comes down to. Unfortunately, so yes, a lot of people will have bad experiences, and it's unfortunate. And some of them, it'll just it'll haunt them for the rest of their lives. And uh, you know, I I, I I'm sad. I wish that wouldn't have happened. But it yeah, if you bring in thousands of random people from around the world, some are gonna be jerks unfortunately it's true <laughs> but peter 0611 says the in real life experience is generally still so much more fun and positive than online and social media which i will say yes so uh waifu says i signed up for street fighter 5 one evo and my first match was at 8 30 a.m i was like nah i'm good <laughs> that happens in vegas too now they obviously made sure that like this last year they ran no pools at 8 a.m they waited till 10 so so <laughs> they're trying to prevent that from happening at this point. So, oh, man. Uh, I don't know if uh, Lapras Love is still in the chat, but I hope that answered your question. Uh, how long do you think the lifespan of Street Fighter 6 is going to be? Longer than Street Fighter 5? I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if I want it to be. <laughs> Because <laughs> by that point, after seven years, you're just like, God damn it, give me a new game now. <laughs> it's hard not to. It's hard not to. And especially when a game ends up with 50 characters, you're just like, I don't want to learn 50 matchups. And so, like, sometimes it's always kind of good to be uh, to get new games. So if it does last like eight or nine years and that means it's a really good game, cool. But I'm still not sure that that's what I want. <laughs> I'm still not sure that's what I want. Um, do, 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 do. Let's see here. Uh, any other questions here? Any other questions? Hi, Nathan. Uh, Six Machine, what did Six Machine say here? I had 10 a.m. pools for DNF and the Vegas bus didn't show up last year. So I jogged from Paris to Man. Oh my God, ow, I was sweaty by the time I got it. it sucks. Uh, 